Thank you. Can you hear me all right? Cool. Um, sorry, B. Sterling, I'm going to steal your music stand. Uh, hi, everybody. It's my first time kind of getting to talk to several of you. Uh, I've, had the uh, I've had the privilege of meeting many of you over the past month while I've been kind of getting my bearings to Austin, and I appreciate how hospitable everybody is. Uh, yeah, just like David said, we wanted to kind of give everybody a chance to just get to know me a little bit better. So let's dive right on in. Uh, as long as I can remember, I've been a big brother. That, for the longest time to find me, that is my, uh, me and my little brother, Jesse. I'm the cute one. Uh, if you can't tell which one, that would be the cute one would be me. Uh, as far as, I, as long as I can remember, it's been my sacred duty to be his big brother. Uh, everything I did in my little three, four-year-old mind was just to make sure that I was looking out for my little brother. Uh, one of uh, the stories that my mom likes to tell and that might just give you an illustration of how I was as a, a little kid, uh, when he, Jesse started growing his teeth, he was a biter. Uh, he would bite just about everybody, pull hair, scratch, you know, the works. And I just kind of took it. And my mom, one time she saw him uh, subjecting me to this abuse and she's uh, said, it's like, Dalen, you gotta stand up for yourself, hit him back. And apparently I said, but he's my little brother, why would I hit my little brother? And uh, she's like, oh, now I feel terrible telling my kid to hit my other kid. <laughs> I'm sure I'll understand that later as I become an adult uh, and have kids of my own someday. But yeah, uh, I really took it as my sacred duty to you know, be his big brother. And we did everything together. We'd pretend to be superheroes. We'd uh, you know, play video games. We'd play, end up growing up playing hockey together. And this big brother mentality, it went on more than just being a playmate. It, also included me looking out for him and making sure he understood how to do life as a person. I wanted to make sure he escaped any pain that he might go through. I wanted to shield him from the world. I also wanted to just encourage him as best as I could because he's my little brother. So as the years went on, uh, we had a lot of changes. Our dad was in the Air Force, so we bounced around all the time. I was born in Denver, but he was born in North Carolina. He's only a year and a half younger than me. And then shortly after that, this picture was taken in Georgia. And a few weeks after this picture was taken, we actually moved from southern Georgia to Alaska. And if that wasn't enough, a few weeks after that, our parents get divorced. So we end up moving from Alaska back to Denver, where my mom grew up. And as time is going on, more changes are happening. A few months after we moved back down to Colorado, my, uh, my mom ends up meeting our soon-to-be stepdad, and we move into to an apartment with him. And our stepdad and Jesse and I, the three of us, we didn't quite connect. We didn't get along at all. In fact, as time went on, it became a really, really aggressive and a, a, a real abusive household. As time uh, happened, I not only was the biggest target, Jesse was able to kind of be uh, sarcastic and play along, and he never let it got, 
feel like it, it got to him. But I didn't know how to exactly react around him. And so I felt like I was always a target. And so what that meant for my identity as a big brother, I wanted to make sure that my little sibling was understood what it meant to not get in trouble by this guy. He's 6'6", we're three feet tall. And if you messed up in the slightest, or if you didn't do great in school, or if you didn't do, give it your all in sports, you were yelled at so loud that people down the street could hear. And if you really messed up, he would smack you right in the back of the head. And I didn't want my brother to feel this. I wanted to shield him from all of this. And as time went on, my role as big brother morphed a little because I ended up having two more siblings. Uh, that's my sister, Katiana, that joins the family, and my youngest brother, D'Artagnan. Again, I'm the cute one. <laughs> but uh, Jesse kind of started understanding how the ropes of how to live in this household. But I felt like to protect my new siblings, I kind of needed to be firm with them. And so I became pretty bossy saying, you can't do this, you can't do that. And almost, I became another annoying parent to them. But I wanted just so bad to make sure that they understood how to not get in trouble. And even after uh, my mom and him got a divorce when I was about 13 years old, uh, that lifestyle of making sure everybody was perfect stayed with me at that point. And at that point, it was, I would still get in trouble if I wasn't perfect. Uh, not in the same way, but in that kind of, my mom, she was just disappointed because I expect better. I, I remember the first time I got a C in school. I, I've always had straight A's, but I got a C. I heard every time I did something wrong, I heard about that C for like 10 more years. Like, it just kept going on. And not just that, I played four different instruments. I played football and hockey. Uh, I just had to be perfect all the time, it seemed to myself. And when I wasn't perfect, it felt like I was always getting in trouble because people didn't really see that I couldn't be perfect because, in all fairness, it looked like I was doing pretty well up to this point. So what's changed? It looks like you're just not trying hard enough. Sometimes that is the truth, because the truth is, being perfect is exhausting. It's just leaves you with no energy left to just kind of get through your day. After you do your homework and then redo it and then do it again, you barely have enough time to Eat, perf eat perfectly and then make sure that you're giving it your all in your sports and waking up in time and going to school and doing that process over and over and over again, I was getting burnt out on life. And I was just exhausted. And so every once in a while, I was like, you know what? I don't want to do my homework today. I got an A. It's probably not going to be a bad thing. And then slowly, you kind of mess up in something or you end up with a C in Spanish or you end up just not decide, I'm not gonna go for sports this year. I'm not gonna do football anymore. I'm not gonna do this anymore because it's just too much. So as time went on, even though my stepdad was out of my life, I kept that mentality 
that I had to be perfect, especially for my siblings, because they, and they needed to know how to be perfect, because especially my little sister and brother, they still had to, him as a dad, and they still had to go over there half the time. I wanted to make sure that they weren't going to be in that trouble. So fast forward a few years, I end up going to Colorado Christian University. I'm studying pol- political science, and an interesting opportunity comes my way. Something that any overachiever would take in a heartbeat. And that's the opportunity to study at the University of Oxford. Not the one in Ohio, the one in England, just so you're all aware. I had the opportunity to study at Oxford. And like the overachiever I was, I was like, yes, please. I applied, got accepted, and I was, all, I was off to England. But I didn't want to do political science courses over there uh, because I had that pretty much under control. I decided I'm going to a Christian university. Might as well take some theology courses or something. So I studied philosophy of religion because why not? I, uh, first semester, eh, it goes pretty well. It was fun. It was England. It was cool. But the second semester, I go and I have a course called Jesus and the Gospels. And a little background on how Oxford works. Uh, you're you're assigned a tutor. Now, a tutor is more like what we would understand as a professor. Over there, a professor is someone that has like 12 PhDs, uh, top of their field, this genius level. A tutor is someone that has like three PhDs. And so you're you're assigned with a tutor, and for Jesus and the Gospels, this tutor was a, a Catholic priest, and what they will do is they will assign you a 15, 20-page paper to write for the following week, and you write it, you read it to them one-on-one, they rip it to shreds, and then they tell you what next week's going to be about. So first week, they, uh, my tutor tells me to write a paper on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And so I read it to my paper, and I really came to understand that it's a lot about motivation. It's not so much about the actions, the uh, the did you do right or wrong is why did you do right or why did you do wrong and so I was like okay cool got it next week what's next week's assignment and so I was assigned like the Christology uh, in the resurrection as portrayed in the gospel of Matthew or something I honestly don't even remember the prompt but I am studying the gospel of Matthew and I come across this passage, uh, Matthew 13. So it's up there, or if you want to turn to it, it's Matthew 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters. First, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. 
And then a few verses later, he'll explain it. But pretty much the sum of it is that all these weeds and uh, wheat, those are people. Every one of them is people on this earth. And the wheat are the people of God. And the weeds are the people that are following the, the Lord's enemy, Satan, the devil. But when I read that, in light of what I learned the previous week, that it's really about your motivation, it's not about the actual actions, it really clicked for me for the first time. I had always read this passage, and I always thought, oh, I am the wheat. Why wouldn't I be? I'm the good kid. I am the guy that always does the right thing. I'm the guy that barely ever gets in trouble. I want to be a good kid. I'm the wheat. But this time I understood what's really going on in my heart. Am I the guy that is actually good and is following Christ or not? I realized that day I'm the weed. I might not have done all the bad things. I saw my brother, he was starting to party. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't drinking every night. But truly, I wanted to. It was just some self-preservation thing that I wasn't allowing myself to do that. But inside, in my heart, that's what I really wanted to be doing. And I realized that the reason I couldn't be perfect all the time being a kid was because deep down in my heart, I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be the guy that had straight A's because I would rather do other things. I didn't want to be the guy that had to have everything under control. I wanted to put myself first. And because I couldn't consistently always do that, I beat myself up for it. And I realized that just deep down in my heart, I'm the weed. I'm not the grain here. And it broke my heart. There was a lot more to that passage, and I can get into it. Uh, uh, but that's all I needed to take away. I'm not, I am a sinner. And for me, my answer to understanding this piece of wonderful theological revelation was to say, screw it. I decided, since there's no point in me being perfect, I can't be perfect. I'm just going to be genuinely me from now on. I decided, why not go drinking? Why not go to the pubs every night? Why not have fun uh, with my teammates on the football field? So I did. And for the, that lasted for a good three weeks. Uh, God has a way of shortening that if you really, you really need to get through that. And what ends up happening is I was getting ready to celebrate my birthday with one of my friends. And while waiting for that night, I realized that one of my friends had passed away. And I really didn't know how to feel about that. But there was a guy next to me, an Oxford Seminary student, that was right next to me when I got the news. And so for the next week and a half, I'd never seen this guy in my life. I see him every day for the next week and a half, and he's like, hey, do you want to come to church? I know you're going through a hard time. No. Hey, I, I just feel like I need to ask you to come to my church on Sunday. No, no, no. 
I turned them down every day <laughs> for a week and a half. And as God just conveniently shaped things, I had no excuse the way I, I was like, okay, you know what, I'll, do, I'll go to church if this, 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 and this happens because it would be in my convenience if those things happened. Well, what, what happens? God found a way to get me in that church that Sunday. And what happened, ironically, was there was a guest speaker. He is a more uh, famous evangelist in England, and he's really just preaching off this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I had that memorized before I even went to England. I've heard that a hundred times because Tim Tebow was a thing. Um, I'm a Broncos fan. Don't judge me. Uh, I enjoyed... uh, I I knew that verse. I've heard it a hundred times. But this is the first time that I had heard it understanding the real root of my problem. That I am a weed. And in that moment, I understood that it's not too late for me to not be a weed anymore. I am able to be changed from that weed into a piece of grain. And so God, they have an altar call, they're singing Amazing Grace, and uh, it's very cliche, but that was the first time I was like, hey, this is, this is a chance for me to actually turn my life really over to God. Because now I really do understand. I understand what it is to fall short. I understand what it means to just not be perfect. But believing on him, he can redeem. I won't be the same person anymore. And so I accepted Christ that night. And when I got home in Colorado a few weeks later... I didn't feel much of a difference. I felt like a bit of a weight was lifted off, but it wasn't until a few months where I actually saw that in practice. I was back in one of my political classes and we're talking about prison reform. And I really understand for the first time, while everybody was just bashing this person that uh, made a, did a crime, that honestly, I, I felt compassion. I was like, this poor person is gonna spend the rest of their life in prison for something stupid. And I realized that I'm not so different from that person. Maybe I wouldn't have done that because I was scared of the consequences, but that's no different than just not doing it because you wanted to, not at least in the eyes of God. Your heart was right there. You're just as guilty. And so I realized I need to show people mercy and compassion. I ended up leaving politics altogether to go to Dallas Seminary. And while I was there, I learned two really important truths, that God is a transforming God. And what he's transforming you to is to be like him. First of all, I guess I should say the second of that is the classic Imago Dei, what it really means to be made in God's likeness to reflect God to the rest of the world. And because of Jesus, his death and resurrection, and the power of the Holy Spirit, you are being morphed into and being redeemed away from what you used to be. I was able to now see it. 
I was able to see Matthew 13 much more clearly uh, that it's not just that I am a piece of grain or becoming a piece of grain, but I am becoming a piece of grain amongst a world of weeds. And I'm here to help and help them transform as well. Everybody is a weed until they get Christ in their lives and are transformed into that grain. I want to be there. There was so much in that text that I just was like, I grew more and more able to understand and grasp. And I was like, okay, I want to make sure I am a tool for God to use. I no longer in that weed and I'm being turned into that grain. I, and I was able recently to just, over the past couple years, seeing myself grow, what that looks like. My um, br- brothers and sisters, uh, this is at our wedding. Uh, they're pretty much all grown up now. So D'Artagnan's 17, he's still in the house. Uh, but again, if you don't know which one, I'm the second cutest one. Okay, see, thank you. Um, <laughs> but I was able to change my relationships drastically with my siblings. Beforehand, I was, especially to Katiana, and Katiana, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry how bossy I was as a kid. Uh, but I was a weed in that relationship. I was choking and strangling their growth by trying to help them. But with God, I was becoming a, a, a grain, and I am now able to be transformed into something that can spiritually feed them. And that is the power of God. And that's what I want, just to kind of bear all for you, is I wanted to share my story in light of what God's story is and what your story is. Um, God has us go through these uh, process of, sanctification, or rather transformation, where he is transforming all of us from that weed to grain. He's transforming all of us, and a lot of times it's hard. I would never want to go live in my stepdad's house ever again. I would never want to be the pressure on my siblings ever again. But at the same time, you have to, if you're going to be redeemed, you have to be redeemed from something. And so it's important for us to remember and be thankful for what we used to be because we are no longer that. So as we draw to a close, I want you all to think in your minds, who is it that you, you used to be? And who are you now? How have you changed? How's God shaped you and transformed you over the past years, decades? Who is God making you to be? Like last week, we have a table in the back uh, to give thanks for uh, both the hard and the good. We started giving uh, thanks by uh, giving it a name, uh, God who is healer, the provider, light, strength, deliverer, redeemer. I want to continue to remember and I want to encourage you to give thanks in hopes of letting God redeem all of our lives 
how far we've come and how far we're going to go in helping the world transform to a full field of grain someday, hopefully. So with that said, please pray with me. God, thank you so much for, for your transforming power. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who comes to change us from that weed to the grain, to change us from something that strangles to something that nourishes. God, thank you so much for your power. Thank you for sending your son that allows for this to happen. Thank you, God, for all the hard things that used to happen that we wouldn't want to go back in a heart, but in a heartbeat we understand that they were necessary because God is using it to redeem us and redeem others. Lord God, thank you. And we pray this in the name of your Son through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.